Hey, how we doing? Yes, yes. Um, so, uh, so I'm excited, man. If you walked in late, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, we are going to be in the book of Ephesians. Uh, yes, yes, Ephesians, which is going to be epic. Um, I love it. It's been really challenging for me and good and um, inspiring and all that good stuff. So you got your Bibles, flip to Ephesians. There's also Bibles in the seats under you, but we'll also throw the, the verses up on the screen if that's helpful for you. Um, man, it really is good to be back. Uh, we had a, Danielle and I and the boys had a really busy summer uh, for sure. And we got to do a lot of really cool stuff. We got to go to Belize with you guys at the very beginning of the summer, which was awesome. We got to go to Israel, which was awesome. Um, just recently, so we've got two sons, Charlie is going to be four in September and Miles just turned one at the very last day of July, which was awesome. And, uh, and so we took him to the zoo. And so, uh, we took Charlie and Miles to the zoo and, uh, and Miles is, is super cute, man. He's walking around. Some of you guys might have seen him on Sunday morning. If you hear, he's the one who walks and takes all the pins out of the back of the chair and chews on them. That's him. Uh, he does. And Chike also does that, but my son is the main one who does that. I can pick on Cheeky because he's not here tonight. Um, somebody tell him, though, that I made fun of him. Um, so, yeah, so that's my son, Miles, and he's walking around, and he's, he's a blast right now, and he's a lot of fun. And so we took him to the zoo, and here's the thing about my son at the zoo. And it was one of those moments where I felt like, man, I'm a failure as a father. Uh, one of the many moments that I feel like that on a day-to-day basis. So uh, we're at the zoo. Here's a, here's a picture of, Char- of Miles. So this is Miles here. You- yeah, aw, that's cute, right? That was his mom's doing. Uh, he's super cute there. There he is at a pole. That's a pole right there out, outside that's designed to look like a tree, right? But it's a metal pole just designed to kind of look like a tree in this little outdoor habitat there. Uh, yeah, that's him. And there's a, maybe another picture of him there. Oh, there he is. He was really into that pole, guys. Uh, here's why that's a problem. The problem is because behind my son, right, in the exhibit behind where that pole was, there is a white tiger an incredibly rare, unique white tiger behind him, right, that's amazing, right? You won't see, unless you go to the Fort Worth Zoo, most of you in this room will probably never get to see a white tiger. We took my one-year-old son to go see said white tiger along with a lot of other animals, and he was obsessed with the pole. (laughs) He did not care. Here's another picture of the white tiger. There he is looking very majestic, right? My son missed it because he's (laughs) obsessed with the pole, Another white tiger picture there. Look at how cool the white tiger is. Yep, look, there's another one here. Yep, look, those kids appreciate the white tiger, right? <laughs> They're enjoying the white tiger through the glass uh, container. And my son, on the pole. <laughs> yep, here's a picture of somebody photoshopped when they dropped an iPhone into the exhibit. And it said, tiger gets an iPhone, which is stupid because tigers can't use phones. Uh, here's my son, though, uninterested. Meerkats, we saw meerkats. My son was not interested. He was interested in the pole. We saw, what else did we see? We saw a family of rhinos, right? My son is all about the pole, right? Also, we saw kangaroo. This is a kangaroo just meditating on the mistakes he's made in life, right? Just pondering (laughs) some of the bad decisions he's made. Here he is telling his son to avoid some of those bad decisions, (laughs) right? Son, don't make some of the, don't walk down some of the roads I did. My son, just obsessed with the pole, right? Also, Married turtle couple having sex. <laughs> Missed it, right? Because my son is uh, obsessed, obsessed with the pole. Yeah. Let's put, the married, let's put the married couple back up, the married turtles having sex there. And my son? And he missed it all. He missed it all. Uh, here is a... Uh, <laughs> 
Sorry if that caused anybody to stumble, by the way. Um. Here is, uh, here, here's what's happening. <clears throat> Ephesians is the freaking zoo. Man, the book of Ephesians is the zoo, man. You look everywhere you look in the book that we're going to be in the next 13 weeks. Everywhere you look. You look left, you look right. It is going to be gospel-centered truth that if you pay attention to, lean in, understand, gaze upon, will change your life. Right? My son's a one-year-old, and so he goes through life around all these incredible things, and at the zoo, he's, in, he's immersed with uh, a pole or a leaf or a squirrel. We have squirrels in our backyard, right? And he just misses that, right, because he's one, and that's okay. Right? I'm, oh, I'm working through that. I'm working through my anger issues towards, towards him right now, but that's fine, right? Ephesians is the zoo, guys. It is six chapters packed verse after verse after verse after verse with just truth that points to what our real identity for those who are in Christ. This phrase, in Christ, in Christ, over and over again, over again, and it should shape what we look like and how we act and how we respond. It is an unbelievable book. It's an unbelievable book. And so my hope and prayer and my hope for you guys to come in expectantly this next semester is, man, don't miss it. Don't settle for less. Don't miss it. Um, Lean into the book of Ephesians. Uh, I am, I am uh, committing myself to read the book of Ephesians a hundred times through before I finish preaching it, which will be around Thanksgiving. Josh and I are going to be preaching, I think, 13 total sermons. To read it every day, I'm going to try to read it a hundred times before because it's so rich. Because I'm already up to about 20 right now because it's so rich. I would honestly challenge you guys. Man, read Ephesians at least once a week. There's six chapters, so read a chapter a day. Tomorrow, read Ephesians chapter 1. The next day, read Ephesians chapter 2. Man, read Ephesians every week, man, and let that truth change you and lean into that and gaze at the gospel and the truth that, uh, that the Apostle Paul unpacks in this. Uh, here's, here's one of the things I'm excited about, specifically to get to preach it in this room. Um, our heart behind Renovate, uh, this ministry, is twofold. Uh, this ministry was started before me by unbelievable people and people gifted more gifted than me in a lot of ways. And uh, the vision behind it that I got to inherit was this. One, man, we want it to be a place where believers can come and, and drink deeply. Ephesians is that. We want it to be a place where we have, we don't, we have worship that is unhindered. We don't have to worry about decibel levels. We don't have to worry about old people. We don't have to worry about children's ministry getting out. Like, we just get to worship unapologetically uh, and, and then dig deep into Scripture, man, and apply it to our life. And so we want it to be a place where, where Christians, people who are already in Christ, show up and can be a part of a community being changed by the gospel, right? Be a part of this gospel-centered community in worship, and that that's a blessing for Christians. But we also want it to be a place where, man, somebody, and maybe you're in this room, who is far from Christ. Man, you do not believe what we believe. That is fine, I love that you're here. We say this all the time. You can belong here with us before you have to believe. You don't have to believe everything that we believe right now, man. That, that's fine. We want you to be able to walk through. If you have been hurt by the church, I don't blame you. Then the church is full of hypocrites. I am a hypocrite, right? We make a lot of mistakes. You've been hurt by the church. You have major doubts. That's, that's intelligent. I mean, I think that's okay for you to wrestle with some of those things. I mean, we want to walk through that stuff with you. And so we want, we want this ministry also to be a place where either you can come and who, maybe you're far from the Lord, you feel distant, you're, you're angry at God, or you know somebody who is. Man, you start inviting them in. You start inviting your coworker, the person who lives in your apartment complex or your family member, and start saying, hey, man, come to this place. And you know they're going to hear the gospel because it's on every stinking page of Ephesians. And, and that produces change in their life because the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and they're forever changed. Ephesians does both of those things, man. 
For believers, for people who are following Christ in this room, you should be able to drink deeper and know Christ more. And I really encourage you this semester to do that and to lean in and to apply this. Don't just hear a sermon and hear some parts of Ephesians that if you're a follower of Christ, you maybe even have read before. Yeah, yeah, I've already read that. But lean in and say, man, have I applied that to my life? Man, how, how am I not walking in the fullness of this truth, right? And then, man, if you are far from Christ, praise God that you're here. It is not a coincidence that you're here. I love it. You are right where you belong, man. You are right where you belong. So, so I encourage you to lean in, and I think it's not a coincidence that you're here. I think maybe it looks like circumstances or a friend tricked you or you just thought you'd check this out or whatever reason. I think the Holy Spirit dragged you in here, and I think he has something better for you than whatever else you've been chasing, and I want that for you. I don't want to indoctrinate you. I don't want you to be a part of our religious group. I want you to know Christ in a way that changes you. That's Ephesians, man. That is the zoo of Ephesians. My prayer is that we don't miss it, that we're not enamored with the leaves and the poles, and we can really dig deep in that. Uh, that's going to have to be a Holy Spirit. I, mean, I, I promise I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough preacher. We don't have a good enough songs that are going to magically do that. It's going to have to be a work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we're going to open it up, though, and we're going to let him do that. And I believe, too, if we're aligned right, if we align our life with this truth, and, and what we're going to unpack today, we're going to unpack 14 verses, right? And as we see that truth and as that starts to hopefully hit our heart, as we align ourselves with it and say, man, I need to shift the way I've been thinking. I need to shift some of this behavior. I need to shift my heart to match what Scripture says I need to match. As we do that, what that's going to do is it's going to produce freedom in your life. It's going to produce freedom and joy and obedience. And what I mean when I say that, when I say it's going to produce freedom, um, my whole life, my whole life, even as a believer, I've been a a believer for most of my life, um, but I have wrestled uh, with, with being in, in bondage and wrestling with the battle between am I going to be a slave for Christ and am I going to be sold out and surrendered to Christ, living a life of joy and freedom in obedience to the God who made me and designed me and knows how I work best, or am I going to be a slave to my flesh? And man, that is this constant battle to me. And there is freedom when we align our life with truth and say, man, this is, this is truth. And, and that sets us free. And that sets us free from, uh, for me, you know, from, from my sin, it's things like, man, my freedom that is this, this bondage at times that I just feel this weight of the approval of man. This overwhelming, uh, paralyzing sin that I wrestle with that I want to be glorified. I want everyone to like me. I want everyone to appreciate me and think I'm great. And, and in aligning my heart with, with Christ and with the truth of Scripture, what happens is we feel freedom from that. And I think, man, of course, I, I don't want to be a jerk, but, man, I, I have my Father who loves me. And I'm finding my satisfaction from this place. Uh, man, I struggle with lust throughout my entire life and really wrestling to say, man, what is God's way and his design and how he, what he's designed my eyes to look at? And that, freedom from that, freedom from, from if, if you're in here and you, you wrestle with, um, man, just some identity issues. When you look in the mirror, what you see, maybe you wrestle with this, this slavery of a lie that maybe you think you aren't beautiful and you need to starve yourself or you need to, to, to do something to make yourself beautiful because what the world says or because of this lie of how you're seeing, man, so much freedom is found as we align our life and our, our, our heart with the truth of Scripture. Um, and when we settle, though, when we don't align ourselves, then it doesn't really produce that freedom. It doesn't really produce that worship. And that's where we're going tonight is this idea of how do we align ourselves with truth that really does produce freedom but also produces worship and not just singing loudly worship. 
not just, man, we're going to really sing loud and be more emotive in worship, but produces the worship that is a response to who God is. That's what our lives are designed for. Your life is designed to bring glory to God, to worship him with your life. And there's joy in that, and there's freedom in that. But when we settle, right, and we don't align, then uh, we, just, we either just don't worship or we fake it through just worship in our life. And I'm not just talking songs. I'm talking about our life lived out with joy and with that freedom. And following Jesus really will produce that worship because that's how beautiful Jesus is, right? You follow Jesus and follow him properly and correctly and deeply and lean in more and more and more. That should produce worship. And if it's not, then I would question Maybe you're not really leaning into Jesus. Maybe we've kind of created a, a fake Jesus or a comfortable Jesus that's nice for us. It should challenge us. It, it, should, it should shape us, and it should produce genuine worship. That's what happens. When, uh, when we follow beautiful things, it's going to store our affections. I uh, met Danielle. Her name was Danielle Archibald. She had a monocle and a cane. <laughs> she didn't. I just... When I think her last name, Archibald, I just pictured her with a cane and a monocle. Archibald? No? Okay. Uh, thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, so when I met Danielle Archibald, right, she was beautiful. She is beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. And not just because she's hot, but because she is inwardly a beautiful person. And so for me, as a young man, I was like, holy crap, man, that woman is beautiful. I have to get to know her. And so then I started systematically stalking her. Just stalked her, figured out where she lived, and did that, right? Because that's what you do when you find something that beautiful is you stalk it, and you lean into it, and you figure out where it is, and you figure out the size of the bushes outside of their house, and that's what you do. Uh, we're going to save that for another sermon, a uh, whole other sermon just on, you know, ways to stalk your future wife. Uh, so some of you guys, man, come to that one, especially you creepy guys, come to that one, bring a notebook. You guys know who you are. You know. You know who you are. No, I'm kidding. There's only one creepy guy in this room. We all know it. Preston Newsom, right? That's just... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just... Preston, you're a very nice guy. You already have a girlfriend, so you've arrived. It's okay. You're, uh, you're in good shape. That was, that was mean of me. I apologize. Uh, okay. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so right off the bat, Paul jumps in. He's not messing around. He just jumps into this letter to the Ephesians. Paul lived with these guys for three and a half years. In his third missionary journey, we were sharing Christ and going around the world. He stopped in Ephesus where this church is, where these believers he's writing to and lived with them for three and a half years. And yet, in this letter, he is not messing around. He's not like, hey, man, how's Doug doing? Man, does he still have the rash thing? Or how's, how's Stan? Is he still working at the Kmart? Like, he's just saying no. Like, some of the other letters, you get this really long intro. Paul just says, hey, good seeing you guys, grace, peace. Here's what I got for you. And he is pumped. He's pumped, and he is worshiping. What we're going to see here in the, in the next few verses is Paul go on a worship tirade. We're going to see just through his words, a heart of the apostle who wrote this letter giving glory to God. He is almost comically uh, excited beyond belief. The next few verses, the next section here that I'm going to preach is verses 3 through 14. And verses 3 through 14, this is, let me nerd it up for a second. 
Verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1 in Ephesians is actually, in Greek, one long run-on sentence. When I took Greek in school, in Greek 2, they make you dissect and parse and get your hands dirty in this section, and it just drives you crazy because it's so confusing, and I almost failed, and it is a crazy complicated sentence, and, and he just goes and goes and goes and goes, and it's one long run-on sentence. I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to attempt to read it for you. Because I want us to just see the big sentence that he's saying, and then we're going to step back, slow down, and we're going to chop it into four bites and just apply those to our life, and then we're going to get back into worship, okay? So this is his one long sentence. You ready for this? Starts in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard the word, of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is Paul's opening sentence in the book of Ephesians. That's epic. That is, we broke it down into like four or five run-on sentences in the English. It is one long sentence that 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote to us to receive today. We're hearing it, unpacking it on a Wednesday night in a random church in Fort Worth, Texas. And God be glorified. God speak through this. This is a man who is aligned with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is moving through him to communicate some major truths that we're going to submit to tonight. So here we go. The first, uh, the first thing we see right in verse 3 is, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, spiritual, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, man, praise God that, that man, God has given us every blessing. And so let's look at those blessings and let's submit. And so verse 4, verse 4 through 6 is our first nugget. Even as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay, this little nugget, right? There's, there's so much here, man. I hope you guys, if you leave with anything, leave with, man, this book is rich. Man, I want to dig in on my own. But here's what's happening in this section. In these three verses, four, five, and, and six, what we're seeing is we're seeing this idea, for one, that I don't want to skim too far past, and it's this idea of predestination, right? It says it right here. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so he chose us before the foundation, and then also it, it later says in verse five, he predestined us for adoption. So there is this, uh, this 
buzzword of predestination, which really defines, is defined by this, uh, this idea that we are predetermined to know him. It's not the word for new, right? So um, if, if we were to say, okay, well, it just means that God knew that we were going to choose him, and so because he knew that we were going to choose him, then, uh, then, that's, then that's what that means. No, no, there's a word for foreknowledge that God foreknew in Romans 8, that Greek word is used. This word is he predetermined that we would know him. He chose us. Um, that's something that bothers a lot of people, right? They hear that and they're like, man, I don't like the fact that God chose me because it makes me feel like maybe I don't have as much say in this thing as I want to. Uh, here's what I'm going to say. We can't, I can't preach a sermon on that right now, unfortunately. However, um, Brett and Josh have a podcast. You should check it out. We actually covered this specific to- topic. It's a, it's a podcast called uh, FAQs. Where can they find it? On iTunes, FAQs, type in Christ Chapel FAQs, and, uh, and they do a weekly podcast. It's excellent, but maybe like three or four weeks ago, we did one that was a frequently asked question that, that Josh got invited me to get to be a part of, and it was just on, man, what do we do with predestination, right? And so if you want to, if you're like, yeah, I'm really interested in that, great. Go look that up, listen to it, come and talk to us. That's not even all-inclusive, but that's like 25 minutes of us kind of work, working through it. Great. Dig into that. I will say this. Um, I can't rewrite the Bible. If, if I'm going to believe what the Bible says, I'm going to have to believe that, yes, God has predestined me. God has predestined me because that's what it says. And here in this room, we're going to say, all right, we're going to trust the Bible rather than what theology is most comfortable to me. Um, now, what does that mean on our part? Does that mean we're just robots? No, we absolutely have a part. We absolutely have responsibility. But we clearly see that God has predestined us and chosen us. And so put that slide back up, Sean. So this idea, truth that produces worship, the first one that we see in these three verses is the Father has chosen you. I mean, we see that here. We see Paul laying out, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is truth that should produce worship in our heart. That's truth that if we align, if we gaze at that and align our life to say, okay, man, I'm, I'm wondering, that should produce real, genuine Freeing worship. He chose you. If you were in Christ, he chose you. How does that produce worship? Right? How, how, how would that even work? Um, man, this, uh, this idea of adoption um, that we see here is such a beautiful idea. Um, it, uh, it, my, my parents are missionaries in Russia, um, and what they used to do in Russia was they did orphan ministry. And there's a lot of orphans. Uh, the orphan crisis is a major crisis in Russia. And, uh, and so you've got just millions of orphans in this country. And their role specifically wasn't to help orphans get adopted. It was to minister to the majority of orphans that never got adopted and, and stayed in these, in many cases, really dark, uh, really dismal orphanages in their whole life. And there was a lot of abuse in them. And it was just a, it was just a sad, sad thing that that they were really trying to walk with these orphans in and then create a transitional center for them to step out of those orphan, orphanages. And so when we see that picture of adoption, when we see that God, your father, chose you and that you have been adopted by this God, that produces worship in us because it means it wasn't ever up to you. It wasn't about your track record. And what that means is no matter how far you think you have wandered from God, no matter how bad you think your resume is, he chose you. Our salvation isn't dependent 
on you living a good enough life and passing the entry interview with the God of the universe. It's not you applying for membership to be a part of the kingdom of God, and so you're going to live a good and Christian life. And if I live a good and Christian and, and maybe more moral than immoral life, then as I try to step before God and say, man, I would like to come into this thing, it's not, well, you live pretty good. I'll give you some grace, but you did a lot too. No, he chose us before the foundations of the world. That should produce freedom and worship because that means no matter how far you've wandered, you haven't wandered too far. It means that God's selection is what determines your salvation. God is the initiator of your salvation. Do you have a responsibility in your salvation? Absolutely. If you have not said yes and surrendered your life to Christ, then you are not in Christ. But it is God who is initiating that, not your good works, not your track record, not your resume. Man, the depth at which I understand and believe that truth that my father chose me is the depth at which I will be able to worship him as a good, good father and dad who has adopted me from a broken place and brought me into an amazing place in his presence. And, and I think many Christians in this room understand the idea of, yes, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, but the depth at which I understand, the depth at which that tugs at my heart, the depth at which that overwhelms me with grace because I know who I am, I know what I deserve, and I know what I have received and am going to receive the chasm between those things should move me to worship with my life, respond with my life. The depth at which I can understand that he chose me, he chose you. That's powerful, powerful truth. Do we respond to it? Do we live like it? Not just, okay, I'm, I'm going to have more intellectual knowledge of my adoption into this eternal family, but do I, is my life look like it? Do I still act like a slave? Do I still act like an orphan in the orphanage? Or do I walk in this freedom of knowing, man, my father chose me. It had nothing to do with how good I was. He picked me way before. Why did he have such grace on me? Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Man, again, there, there's so much here. I mean, we see verse 12 here. We see, I mean, verse uh, 9 and 10, we see this history unfolding. As Paul's talking about this history unfolding that now we're a part of, that's incredible. The gospel has come. The Old Testament has been written then the gospel. And then when it says this now to, known to us the mystery of his will, they're talking about Jesus. That now to this generation that he's writing, the first generation of believers, man, it's been known to us now. We are the generation in history that's now been revealed. And now we, 2,000 years later, are partakers of that. It's an awesome, awesome thing. This, though, is truth that should lead us to worship. Truth that should lead us to worship here is that Christ has redeemed you. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. Christ has redeemed us. You know that freedom I was talking about earlier, right? Freedom from, man, lust and, and eating disorders and anxiety and the weight of the world and the, all of those things, the fear of man. The, that freedom is found here. 
This is the truth that if I lean in and fully apply and fully align my life to, man, this is freedom and worship. Christ has redeemed you. That, that word redeemed, in an Old Testament context, it was always used in the marketplace and the idea of buying something, right? Buying something for your, yourself or purchasing something, uh, paying the debt for something. And I, um, those of you guys who have been around me or heard me preach a lot, I feel like I bring this book up like every, once every five sermons. I, it's one of my favorite books. I don't know how to think about redemption without thinking about the book of Hosea. Um, and the book of Hosea is this minor prophet buried in the Old Testament back there, and it's this beautiful, beautiful book uh, where God has called a prophet named Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. And he says, hey, you're gonna be my prophet. You're gonna represent a picture of me to the nations and to the world. And he says, go and marry this whore. And so he goes and he marries a, a prostitute and he brings her into his home and he brings her in there and he becomes, he becomes her husband and they have children, although it's even alluded to in the book that those children aren't even biologically his because she's cheating on him the whole time. And so he's married to this wife as this picture of how God loves us and we just keep cheating on him and cheating on him and cheating on him. And, and then, and then his, his wife, this prostitute, goes back out into the world that she came from leaves her husband, leaves her children with him, and goes back to prostitute herself in the world. And, and she does that and does that and does that until eventually she gets so used up in that life of prostitution that no longer will anybody pay to have sex with her. And so in the Old Testament, this book is showing you the depth of where this woman has gone and how far she's gone and how, how just ravaged her life is. And, and eventually, because she's not good to be a prostitute anymore, because she's so used up, they take her to a slave block, and they're just going to sell her off as a slave to be somebody's maid or something like that. And so they put her in slavery, and they sell her at a slave auction. And Hosea shows up, man, and he says, that's my wife, and I'm buying her back. And he brings silver, and he doesn't have enough silver, and so then he goes, and he gets... He gets produce from his own farm, and he says, man, here's all I got. She is mine. I love her. I'm going to represent how God loves us. He has redeemed us, and he pays the price and buys us back. And that should produce worship in my life. Man, if I can lean into that and gaze at that and see what Christ has done for me and the price that was paid the price that was paid was Jesus, right? In him we have redemption through his blood. 2,000 years ago, the son of God walked this earth. He died to pay that price for you and for me. And so for all the sin and all the baggage and all the, I don't know what your past looks, I don't know what your week looked like, but our God has redeemed you from that in Christ by the blood of Jesus Christ hanging on a cross 2,000 years ago who didn't deserve that who was perfect and spotless and the perfect sacrifice. And not a metaphorical death and not a spiritual death, a literal death on a cross. The price to buy you and me. Man, that is truth that should produce worship in our life. Um, Christ redeemed you. The depth at which I understand that the depth at which I really understand that and believe that is going to be the depth of my worship as a man in the world I live in. Not how I sing songs, my worship, my response to the God of the universe and everything I do. The joy, the freedom that I walk in, the worship, the response. 
He chose me. He redeemed me because of Christ. Look at verse 11. Two more big chunks here. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Man, here we see again the Old Testament passing the baton to the New Testament, the first half of our Bible passing the baton to the second half of the Bible, saying, man, this Jesus is who the entire Old Testament was talking about, and now in history you were the first generation to believe, and now throughout history for his glory continue to share that. So what's the truth that we see that leads us to worship here? Right there at verse 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance. The truth that should lead us to worship that it's just in front of us, is he has, given us, he has given us an inheritance. The God of the universe has given you an inheritance. Uh, how, how does that lead us to worship? Um, what, what does that do? What is that, um, how does that produce worship in me? First of all, it gives me something to look forward to. Uh, as a believer in my life, if I'm in Christ, I now have this thing to look forward to. I heard a, a pastor use this illustration. I think it was Ben Stewart. Um, he uses this illustration unpacking the idea of inheritance and eternal inheritance. So um, essentially, just pretend I give you a job, right? Say I go up to you and I say, hey, man or woman, um, I got a job for you. Uh, from now until December, so kind of this semester, I've got this job for you. It's not a glamorous job. It's kind of a beating. It's boring and it's tedious and it's hard work and you're going to sweat. Uh, but I've got this job for you. And, and I tell you, I tell you, man, Come December, though, right, right a little before Christmas time, I'm going to give you $1,000. I'm going to give you $1,000, all right? Now, say I go up to somebody else, and they say, hey, man, I got a job, same job, tedious, sweaty, you're not going to enjoy it, kind of boring. And I say, man, you do this job, faithful, work at it. Uh, it's not going to be fun. Right before Christmas time, I'm going to give you, if you do this well, $1 million. There's going to be a... There's going to be a major difference in the way those two interact throughout the semester. Am I right? Right? Like, there's going to be a major, this guy over here is going to do his job, and he's going to get 1000 He's going to be thinking, man, $1,000, that's great. Probably should pay off some credit card debt with that, though, or like, uh, am I going to owe taxes at the end of the year? I need to figure that out, right? This guy over here, who's getting a million dollars at the end of the semester for working, he's just, yeah, you know, like, oh, human feces, no problem. I'll just get it up, man, no big deal. Oh, what else can I do? Hey, how you doing? Like, right, like that, he's just gonna have this joy in worship because the inheritance that he's getting, what he's looking forward to is that great. The inheritance that we get, the fact that the God of the universe has given us an inheritance, that should produce worship and joy and that should be a, a seed that grows into freedom in our life. When I, when I am overwhelmed by anxiety in my life, um, so much of that is, is enemy attack, right? So much of that is the enemy attack, so much of that is I get in my own head. But one of the things for that is I lose perspective, right? I lose perspective and I become paralyzed and stuck in a, in a spot where I've lost perspective. And in my life, if I could maintain and hold on to the truth, the truth of Ephesians, verse 11, chapter 1, in him we have obtained an inheritance, have an inheritance. We have this thing to look forward to, this eternal relationship to look forward to that changes how I live my life now. It gives me an expectancy. It gives me a hope to look forward to. That's an incredible, incredible thing. And the depth at which I understand and believe the inheritance waiting for me is the depth at which I will be set free to worship more fully, 
Last little bit, verse 13. Last two verses. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I am convinced, man, that we do not utilize, understand, walk in the depth of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is desiring to do in our life. Man, I am convinced that I'm, I, I, as a believer, am, am still a little bit playing in the shallow end with that. This truth that produces worship in me is that the Spirit has sealed you. The Spirit has sealed you. The Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, the third part of the Trinity, however that works, the third part of the Trinity has sealed you and said that inheritance that you have, that freedom that you've been given, that redemption that has been paid for you, that adoption that has been granted is now sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is an incredible thing. Do I walk in the freedom of that? Do I walk in the confidence of that? And that should produce two things, and this, this is where I'm going to land it. That should produce two things, and the first, we could talk all night about the security that that should provide me and you. The fact that I can't lose this, like I'm not more powerful than the Holy Spirit. My sin and my ignorance and my foolishness is not more powerful than the Holy Spirit in my life. And if I'm in Christ, I've been sealed with that. And then secondly, secondly, I have the third part of the Trinity living inside of me. And so that should produce worship. That should be the catalyst behind my worship. The fact that the God of the universe has said, Ben, you are, you're broken and wicked and prone to wander away from me. But I'm going to give you this spirit because I love you. And I'm going to adopt you. And I'm going to give you this spirit. And that spirit is going to keep tugging you back to me. And when you wander off into that weeds, that spirit is, is going to not allow you to stay there. Because you're mine. Because I chose you, because I adopted you, and you keep wandering, and but I'm going to call you back. I'm going to call you back. And then some of us in this room have become experts, have become professionals at deadening that spirit, at just deadening the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then sometimes it's, it's on purpose, it's intentional, because we don't want to deal with conviction, we don't want that spirit in us to say, there's something more from you. What are you doing over here? Why are you in this place of sin? I have something better for you. And we don't want that. We want to be our own gods. We don't want to submit to him. We want to do it our way. And so, and so we ignore that and we kill that. Or maybe it's just because of apathy. Maybe just because we live lives that are, are full of all these distractions. And we're just overwhelmed and drowning in distractions. And we're not fueling and feeding. Instead, we're quenching this Holy Spirit. We can't, we can't lose it. We're not powerful enough to do that. But we do all these things to just distract and quench it. Man, uh, so often, how much of my day is consumed in the margins with my iPhone in my hand? And I wake up, I go to bed with it, I go to the bathroom with it, right? I, I am allowed to be able to be constantly distracted so that I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, how much am I missing out on? that I would lean into that. And here's how you know what the Spirit is doing. Here's what the Spirit's role is. The Spirit's role is not to, to do fireworks. The Spirit's role is to make much of Jesus. And so the ways that I light that on fire and I ignite that and I, I lean into the truth of the Holy Spirit and I enjoy him 
is I make much of Jesus in my life. And instead of putting just distraction or waste or filth in my eyes and ears, instead I desire and I try to be drowning in this truth so that I might align myself and have this life of worship and freedom and joy. So I, I, I desire to stay in tune with this, surround myself with other people who are pointing to that and pushing towards that. Also surrounding myself with people who don't know Jesus because the Holy Spirit in me gets really excited when I'm around people who don't know Jesus also because it's like, man, I want to tell them, I want to talk with them. I, my heart breaks for them. And I, I worship and I sing and I, I try to put music in my, my ears that's going to push me towards reminding me of truth, not distracting me with lies. The Spirit has sealed you. The depth at which you really believe that and walk in that confidence is the depth at some point of where your worship is going to be. So man, here's what we're going to do. Um, man, my prayer is that as we continue to go through Ephesians this semester, you continue to lean in, continue to be changed and challenged. But also in these areas that we see in this just epic sentence in Ephesians 1, that man, you tonight go to bed thinking about the fact that your father chose you. Your father chose you and that Christ redeemed you and that you have an inheritance, not because you earned it, but because you have a good dad who adopted you and is giving you that. And now the spirit inside you wants to make much of Jesus and point to him with your life and live a life of freedom and worship and obedience. Now, would we do that? Would we respond to that? Would we lean into that? Would we not wander through the zoo missing it Missing it because we're so distracted by things that are not worthy of him. Let me pray for you, and then let's continue to worship tonight. Father, we love you. Uh, we need you in order to love you more, Father. Um, would your spirit do this work in us that we desire, Lord? We see in your scripture, God, this m massive text in Ephesians 1. We see this truth that you put before us tonight. Um, do we believe it, God? Not just intellectually do we believe it, but does our life reflect that kind of truth? Does my life look like I've fully been adopted? Like I've really been redeemed? Like I really am living towards this eternal inheritance and I'm not obsessed with my earthly inheritance? And Father, am I walking in the Spirit, Lord? I need you to guide me, Father. Would you guide us to that end? Guide us to walk with you, Lord. May we go deeper and deeper and deeper. And Father, as we go back into worship, we would not just sing songs, but would we instead either stand or sit or dance or whatever, whatever that looks like, but would we, would we talk to you? Would we pray to you? Would we, would we align our hearts with the spirit that says you are good? We know it. In the name of Jesus, amen.